Hi everyone, Lars Hammer here, pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church in Marana, Arizona. Welcome here. This is my sermon for November 8th, and uh, I want to welcome everyone who's watching out on the internet with this. I always like to make a clean copy of one of my sermons uh, that I can post as well, because it's not always comes out as well when we're doing the live streaming. So, here goes. Uh, if someone were to ask you, what is the hardest command in the Bible? What is the hardest command? If someone were to say, what is the most difficult thing that the Bible tells you to do that you're supposed to follow? Uh, what would you say? I know what I'd say. Uh, it wouldn't be, I know what I wouldn't say, it wouldn't be do not murder, because I think that's an easy one to not follow. We can all just not kill someone. Yes, it becomes an ethical issue when we're under threat, but I, I don't think it's that hard to avoid killing people. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the command against adultery. I think that's a pretty easy one to avoid if you really want to. Uh, it's not the prohibition against eating screech owls. I know that's on everybody's minds, but it is in there. Uh, it's easy for me to avoid eating uh, owls of any sort. Um, if I had to say, what was the hardest command? I would probably say, at least in the top, you know, three, four, five, I would say that it's what Jesus says here in the Gospel of Matthew. And what he says here in chapter 6, he says, Do not worry. That's his command. Do not worry. I think that's got to be one of the hardest commands because I think... Uh, you know, when you think about it, ask yourself the question, how easy is it for you to just not worry? When someone comes and gives you the, says this to you, you know, you're all shaken up by something, right? And you're worked up and your good friend sits down next to you and gives you a hug and says, don't worry. Are you able to just like take a switch and shut off the worrying? Can you just say to yourself, you know you're right, uh, I'm not going to worry, um, and then it's gone. Is that how it goes? Uh, because for me, that never works. It's still a good thing to say, but it never works for me to do that, because we need to stop worrying about sometimes, so it's a good thing to say, but gosh, it's a hard command to follow. Because there's a reason you're worried. You know, there's something going on. There's something in your life. There's something that's on your mind, and it's somewhere in the future. It has the potential to cause problems, maybe harm to you. It's something you can't fix. It's out of your control, mostly. And yet you're thinking about it. That's what worrying is. It's an anxiety about the future, that you can't control. So you worry. It's our mind's way of making us take something seriously, right? Because if you're worrying, you're thinking about it, and that means you're paying attention to it, and so you're not going to be surprised by, you know, whatever happens, because you're already thinking on it. Worrying has a purpose for us. We evolved this way. But here's the deal with the future, about any sort of thinking about the future is you can't control the future. Unless you have some sort of magical power I've never heard of, 
You can't control the future. So what do we do? We can get really controlling. We can try to control the present and try to control the present in a way that it will not change so that that will give us some predictability and that predictability gives us a sense of certainty and that certainty lowers our anxiety and it's a way of saying to ourselves, now I know that nothing's going to happen to me or at least I have a chance of controlling it. It's a miserable way to live, but we do do that, right? Or you could do, there's another strategy that we often do. I call it hoarding and hedging, or hedging and hoarding. That's my phrase for it. Uh, where you take everything you have and you sink it into things that you think will protect you in the future. So that's hedging, right? You hedge, so you, you, you play it safe. You err on the side of less risk. And at the same time, you hoard, you stockpile stuff to protect you. You squirrel away and save up. You collect possessions and investments and insurance policies and guarantees and maybe you stockpile some weapons, I don't know. But you do it because you don't know you don't know if maybe you just might need it. And you stockpile and stockpile because deep down, somewhere, you don't trust the future. You don't have faith in the future. And that, that anxiety about the future, it doesn't just go away, but at least, if I, at least if I have some control and I've got all this stuff, I maybe have a, maybe helps me feel a little bit better about it. Well, along comes Jesus, and Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's got this crowd around him, and he says to them, uh, he basically tells them to forget about all this hedging and hoarding, because it doesn't do you any good in the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. So don't store stuff up. Things can happen, anything you have. Nothing is absolutely permanent. Everything can disappear. You know, your stocks can tank. The insurance company can go broke. The housing market can crash. Your house could get destroyed. Your savings could go down with the bank that defaults. Your, your gold could get stolen, or the price of gold could tank on the commodities market. Your precious art, well, that could get stolen, or maybe a leaky roof rains on it and ruins it. There is no possession that you can get that is truly permanent. Moth and rust destroy them all. But what should we do? Jesus says to focus on the kingdom of God, on making, on spiritual things, on making things better in the world you live in today. God will provide for your future, he says. And God will provide for your tomorrow. And that's when Jesus takes it home. So let's jump to verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25. 
Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So do not worry. That's the hardest command. Do not worry. It's right up there with love your enemies and give all your possessions away. Do not worry, Jesus says, about your future. Don't even worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. I mean, that's pretty basic stuff, right? I mean, we sit and worry, you know, will I be able to buy a house in Sholo for my retirement? Or will I have to just rent one? Jesus says, don't even worry about your clothes for tomorrow. I mean, this is intense. And I don't know many who've been able to do this all the way. I mean, really, truly all the way. You get those people like Francis of Assisi who literally goes and sells everything he owns and he gives it to the church and then he begs for the rest of his life. Most of us don't put our trust in God that much. We put some of our lives in God's hands, but we keep some to hedge against future risk. But imagine what a world it would be if everyone gave all the time and everyone shared freely and nobody was protective and defensive about their stuff because it's all just going to moth and rust anyways, right? Think about it. This is what I think about with this. You're going to think I'm crazy, but think about the 70s. I'm a child of the 70s. I'm born in the 70s. I know a lot of you don't remember the 70s very well. Maybe you weren't born. Uh, maybe you were in a cult. Uh, maybe there were pharmacological reasons you don't remember the 70s. I don't know. But if you don't, just picture it on a TV show. Right? I, and, and I look at these old shows. I look at these old movies when I, they pop up, 60s, 70s. And they show people who are really wealthy at the time. And I wonder about the value of the things that you see in that show. Those things that were so precious and so important and so expensive at the time. And I look at them and I, and I, I wonder, how, what are they worth today? I mean, I think, think about it. There were people who chose to be mean and hoard money so that they could spend it on harvest gold appliances. And, and scuffed faux, you know, uh, metalwork, brass wall hangings, bell bottoms, Chevy Impalas. Well, they probably didn't hoard for the Impala. They probably hoarded for the 1970s Cadillac. You know, the one that's like 75 feet long. Yeah, you know, you know that one. There were people who gypped their employees, who worked super long hours, who missed out on time with their families, and their children so they could afford suits with collars that were weapons grade, long and pointy, as long as it was green and plaid and wool. There were people who missed their kids' plays 
and date nights with their wives so they could afford a reel-to-reel -reel projector and a Betamax. Well, the Betamax would have been 80s, right? So what do we do now? Right? We look at all those things. We see it in the show. We, we, we laugh. We cringe. I mean, we, we go, oh my gosh, that stuff is hideous. Who'd ever sacrifice time with their family for anything made out of avocado green or harvest gold? Or maybe take it one step further. You were in the, there were people in the 70s who skipped out on all those things. And they looked around the world and they, their, their own country at all the things going on in their own towns, in their own cities. All the drugs, all the gangs, all the prisons filling up. And what did they do? They gave it to General Electric to buy an avocado green electric knife. Endorsed by Burt Reynolds. I don't know if he endorsed knives, but people would have bought it if he did. You could have changed a kid's life, a kid who's now in the 40s, but you spent it on things that we laugh at. Was it worth it? I, I know today's stuff is going to get laughed at tomorrow. We all know that. All those gadgets and toys that we have will be worthless soon. The camera I'm talking into now will be worthless soon. We will look back and go, yeah, there were a lot of people around me. I could have helped with all this money, but gosh darned, I needed that blackberry. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume. And you could say, and fashion makes worthless in another couple years. But okay, so you say, those are just material things, right? Those aren't investments. I'm, I'm not skipping out on funding the battered women's shelter or the church youth group, you know, just for toys. I'm, I'm putting it into things that accrue wealth. You know, I'm putting it into granite countertops. So when I go to sell my house, that, that you know, posh couple from San Diego who comes in and looks at the house will be all impressed with me. Oh my, look at that countertop. Because people in San Diego talk like London, but, you know... That's what I'm doing. I'm not wasting it. I'm putting it into a mutual fund. I'm putting it into an offshore money market account and various business ventures in Asia. These are all responsible things. Well, yeah, they are. Now, I could point you to people in the church who could show you how to use those investments and give from those investments in ways where you get a tax write-off and the church gets money and it doesn't really cost you anything. There are ways out there to do that. This is not all, always an either-or. But what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, don't worry. But if I do just as Jesus says, and I give it all freely, and I live really simply, and I don't have tons stashed away, then what if something happens? Well, that's the risk we take. Because when you give something away, you're risking your future. Every act of giving increases your vulnerability in the future, since that's something you won't have later. So you're giving away part of your future when you give away something now. You're trusting 
that it will work out. You know, and, and isn't that what Jesus says? Just like the flowers and the birds that don't worry, because the Father feeds them. So, so you don't worry because your Father will feed you. The Father has, his, has your future in his hands, so you don't have to cling to everything now with yours. Jesus is saying, I've got this. I've got this. Trust me. Put your energy and your resources into building the kingdom of God. Put your money into things of the Spirit, and God will take care of the future. Because that's what trust really is. It's putting your future in someone else's hands. Every gift you give, in essence, is an act of trust. Because when you give it, it's not there to hedge for your future. Every dollar to the church is a dollar that could go into granite countertops and to seduce those future buyers. Every stock you give away is a stock that won't explode someday when the company has some great widget. Every hour you give to your family and your church and to the poor is an hour, I suppose, you could be spending in the office hustling up more money. Every gift is an act of trust because you're giving away your most prized possession, your future. You know, when you think about it, it's, well, it's the same thing we do when we marry someone. We're, 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 we're giving our future to this person, and we're giving up on other possibilities that may come up. But in a world where everything you put in to make your future secure can be destroyed, the only future you really have is a future in God's hands. Put your trust in God, Jesus says. Give him your future. And he will feed you like he feeds the lilies and the flowers of the land. And you will have a peace that doesn't come from control, but that comes from love and relationship and hope and faith. Amen. Have a great day, everyone.